Hey, this is Maggie. And Ashley. And you're listening to The Watering Hole, a place where animals and animal enthusiasts regularly drink. Every episode, we'll talk about different animals and why they're cool, from basic biology to the threats they face and what people are doing about it, all while under the influence. <laughs> we just use that instead of my little my little spiel instead. I yeah. think that's great. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. It sounded just like it. Um, speaking of, I've actually had a lot of cool animal encounters in the past couple of weeks up here in Maine. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Tell me. So just yesterday, um, we, so we have a pond in our front yard and uh-huh. we have like 11 green frogs that have that are in all stages of adulthood because they're just like there's one that we call honky because he's just so big and then we have tiny little ones that range in names from like fifi to frankie and are they all f's or (laughs) no so actually um they all started out with musician names so originally there was louie for louie armstrong there was uh billy for billy holiday ella ella fitzgerald and then fifi and frankie were um frank sinatra and fiona apple and then (laughs) honky was just because he was a big sucker and we were like we're out of names (laughs) you know famous honky he was that great (laughs) singer he had that hit in the 90s yeah but then also we have spotted salamanders in the pond. Oh. So cool. Um, especially awesome. because I, I talked about them last season and I had never seen a salamander in real life. And now they're all over. They heard the podcast and they're like, let's go visit Maggie. We're her biggest fans. Oh, thank you. You've just, you've spoken salamander to me. If you're a salamander out there listening, let us know in the comments. Um, we really Where? appreciate it. <sighs> Uh, on, Where, on, Ashley? Um, on Apple Podcasts um, or wherever you listen. Uh, let us know on Instagram or you can email us and we even have a website. Perfect. Do I that add that a- that more natural uh, edition of that? If you picked up on that the last was- episode, we forgot it. So I recorded it on my own. Yeah. So that was a perfect transition right there. Yeah. And then I've heard what I think is a bobcat at night. What? And I heard something the other night that I have not yet identified, but actually I'll play the sound. You recorded it? it? Yeah. So I'll play it here and maybe somebody else out there knows what it is. (gasps) I thought maybe it's a, it's probably like just a bloody raccoon or something boring, but, um, we're going with Bobcat. I don't know. Ollie is confused. (laughs) Really? It has like. A kind of croaky feeling, but more like chirpy, and I could see it as like a mammalian chirp. Like you know how like certain like mammals yeah. chirp. It felt like that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but yeah, so if anyone right. knows, that'd be really Let us know. interesting to, I tried to, to learn. I tried to imitate that noise for Nick the other night, and <laughs> we were on Facetime, and I was just like, it was like, <laughs> and he's like, how'd that go? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so good. That was identical. I was like, is my phone playing this sound again? Um, well, that's exciting that you saw a bunch of wildlife. Yeah. I was like kind of jealous. I mean, it's, I am jealous. But then I realized that I got to see cool wildlife because I just got back <gasps> from Cape Cod. I was on vacation and I got to see my grandpa lives kind of, you have to like go on a, an unpaved road to get to his cottage and behind him is 
wetlands. I've never seen it because it's just like all behind. So he just has like a lot of great bird feeder birds. So he lives in Massachusetts and so there's black cap chickadees all the time. Yeah. But also some great cardinals, female cardinals. Mm. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. But then the last couple of days, there were a bunch of tufted titmice. Titmice? <gasps> How would you say that? But yeah. Oh I think God. I think titmouses. They are actually one of my favorites. They're so pretty. Oh I love God. looking at them in winter. Yeah. And then there were red-breasted nuthatches as well, which I love nuthatches. Oh, they're cool. It's so fun. Once you kind of start to get to know the, the wide range of songbirds that can be found at a bird feeder, mm-hmm. you realize that not everything is just a little brown bird, no. you know? There's so many neat There's ones. There's so much variety. That's great. Yeah. But then the, the really cool part, I mean- little birds are awesome too. My mom, uh, we had gone taking the dogs to the beach in the morning. And so my mom and grandfather were on the back porch and my mom was looking over and she thought she saw this like big hawk. And so she was Mm. like, dad, is that, is that a hawk? My my grandpa's like, no, no, no. I think that's, we got a a garden like statue of a hawk. My mom's like, it's moving. (laughs) And it sure enough, it flew away. Um, (laughs) I was like, Grandpa, you, like, they do have, like, an owl statue somewhere in their garden. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, shouldn't you know where that's located? Like, it's not on top of the bird feeder. <laughs> so I was really jealous that they saw it. And then I saw it a couple days later. It, like, swooped down and kind of half-heartedly went after the squirrel. And the squirrel, like, wasn't really running. It looked like they were, like, putting on a lackluster play for mm. us. But so we didn't see it catch anything. But then it sat on this branch for a while. And uh, we're pretty sure it was a shark-shinned, sharp-shinned hawk. I think it was what, yeah. what I think it was, it, um, but it just hung out for a while. So yeah, that was really cool. And then of course at the beach, there were like tons of terns and, and little tiny <sighs> plovers. Um, but these terns were like just diving into the water right in front of us, which was awesome. Oh, my favorite. And then one seal, one gray seal. The the seals are just so much fun to watch up here. I really oh, love seeing them. Seals are the best. They don't get old. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm glad we both had great wildlife encounters the past couple of Yeah, weeks so. so much fun. Oh. So I, I can't wait to share with you my animal this week mm. for a couple of reasons. One, because it's one of my favorite animals mm-hmm. and that that's your first hint actually. But I'm also excited because I think I've come up with better hints. I'm really bad <laughs> at giving you good hints. <laughs> I loved how last episode I got so hung up on the hint that like, well, that I thought I knew it, that I, I just couldn't get over it for the entire uh, time we talked. Um, but I'm and excited. And you got to just go with your gut. Yeah. So I'm going to do from now on in life and in this podcast. Yeah. That's a good life lesson. Go with your gut, <laughs> especially if it's telling you to run to the bathroom. <laughs> um, so, your face was no? the straightest face. <laughs> I was just thinking of my last... Last time I had to like, oh, we got to get to a bathroom now. Bye. <laughs> Everyone's been there. Be honest. A hundred percent. So why else am I excited? Oh, because I actually did my research. <gasps> like I wasn't, I wasn't looking up facts about this animal three minutes before we got on this call. So I can't this, wait. This is all very exciting. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I almost just read to you the name of the animal I'm doing because it's the first word in my notes here. Always dangerous to put that in your notes at the top. So the first hint is, well, its Latin name is Crocuda Crocuda. And it is the most successful hunter in all of Africa. It's one of your favorite animals. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I don't think it's lions because they're well that's not a hundred percent not their name <laughs> um I do know a, a successful hunter. Also, Krakuta, Krakuta just sounds like a great like intro to a song. Like Krakuta, Krakuta. Maybe I'm thinking is it Barracuda song? Maybe that's what I'm thinking. I was thinking more of like Croquetta. Ooh, those are also really yummy. That's food, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those um, are really yummy, <laughs> Ashley. That's a type of rock. <laughs> love rocks. All right, Krakuta, Krakuta. Um, Krakuta, Krakuta. What is it? Yes. Okay. I really want to get this. Is it? Is Do you it, want another hint? Is it a, a, a kind of hyena? Yeah. Yes. Go with nice. your gut, people. Yes. I don't know. I don't know what kind of hyena, but I was like, I'm pretty sure hyenas have a really high, like, surprisingly high kill rate compared to like mm-hmm. what like they're thought of as like these scavengers. Absolutely. So, oh god, I'm so excited. Okay, what? What? what go, go, keep going. <laughs> so I I'm gonna be talking about the spotted hyena, but as you just alluded to, there are other types of hyenas. There are four within their family. There is the spotted hyena, the striped hyena, the brown hyena, and the ard wolf. That's in the that family. I didn't know that. It is. Huh. So I I haven't looked up the actual. Uh, not genealogy. What is it called? Um, like the the class, the family tree. Um, classification. Yeah, I haven't looked up the family tree the classifications of of hyenas, but all of the research that I did read Taxonomy. just said, "Oh like, my god, sorry." Yeah. Oh my god. Thank you. Yes. Shit. I I didn't actually look up the taxonomy. It's just every article that I read talked about the three kinds of hyenas and aardwolves. This mm, this and this. Gotcha. You know? So I'm going to be specifically talking about the spotted hyena, but here and there I'll throw in some facts about the other kinds because first and foremost, they're so cute. Oh my God. That, I, I just, I love hyenas. They get such a bad rap. So if you don't know what they are, you probably do because you've, you've probably seen the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't, what are you doing with your life? So the hyenas are, they almost look like dogs, but they are not related to dogs at all. They're in fact in the mongoose family and they are more closely related to cats. Mm. But what are they? They're this uh, large carnivore predator found mostly in Africa, but then also some of these subspecies spread out into Arabia and Asia in into India. Mm. So they can be found in a lot of places, but I'm talking about the the spotted hyena, which is the kind that you see in the Lion King. They are like a a strange bodied animal. Yeah. They have longer front legs than they do back legs. They have spots. They've got like a dark mane on their on their neck, on their long neck, and then they have these big fluffy ears and really really strong jaws and teeth their their body shape kind of reminds me of um like purebred german shepherds that have like their back end is like so low so much lower to the ground Mm -hmm. it's you're like how is this a effective way to have a body (laughs) yeah well i'll tell you about it in a little bit (gasps) oh i'm excited so Anyway, hyenas, they are, these spotted hyenas are around, I'm going to say hyenas a lot. Again, I've already said, like, I'm talking about spotted mostly. So don't think I'm talking about all of them. They range from about 110 to 190 pounds. The females are larger than males. 
they can live up to 25 years and they're between 34 to 59 inches tall from, from their toes all the way up to their shoulders and neck. Mm. So I mentioned that they can, that hyenas can be found throughout Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, but then they can expand the different species can expand into Arabia and even be found in India. Fun fact, that's the same for cheetahs, which I think a lot of people don't know. You know, they think cheetahs, Africa, but mm-hmm. they can actually be found in uh, the Middle East. So, Hyenas can run up to 37 miles per hour or 60 kilometers per hour. And a group of hyenas is called a clan. Um, they live in similar group structures as lions, wolves, or wild dogs. Gotcha. Things, things specifically about hyenas, we've actually said that they've kind of developed this, this negative reputation Mm -hmm. as like scavengers or unsuccessful hunters. They actually have great eyesight and hearing, especially at night. And I mentioned that they live in these clans, which is part of what makes them so fascinating because their clan sizes can be up to 80 individuals. And then oh. there's even a clan, there's even a clan from the Maasai Mara in Kenya that's been counted at around 120 members. Oh, wow. And when you have that large of a clan, you can't thrive if you're not intelligent. And that is the coolest thing. I think hyenas are just assumed to be dopey and dumb because of the lion king and because of a lot of folklore associated with them Mm -hmm. in different cultures and they're actually so stinking smart so much so that they have a 70 to 95 percent or they have a 70 percent success rate in hunting and 95 percent of what they eat comes from hunting so they're not really scavengers at all in fact a lot of their meals are stolen by lions i was gonna say so you might wonder like wait a minute if they're so smart and they have these big clans why is their food getting stolen by lions it really just comes down to like a a numbers game Mm -hmm. like their clans can can be big but they're not always big and prides of lions can be pretty big and lions are actually just so much larger than hyenas like they could just really mess up a hyena's day. So um, it's actually like a calculated decision for these hyenas. They're like, "Uh, you know what? I I got my fill. I'd rather just walk away from this. We can catch another animal rather than having to fight for our lives against lions. So they're very smart. Honestly, I was like, kind of like, I understand. I was like, oh, well, it's not lions because of the name, but also lions are, are actually not great hunters. Male lions are Mm-mm. horrible hunters. Oh, um, so, so that should have been the real giveaway was that lions are, are, <laughs> are actually not that great, which is probably why they have the strength to like go after another animal's kill. They didn't have to chase it down and kill it. They're right. They're, they're nice and refreshed. They just basically came from the spa and they're ready to eat, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's another another thing about cheetahs. Lions are often stealing prey from cheetahs, and because cheetahs expend all of their energy with how fast they go, they have absolutely no energy left to defend their kill. The takeaway is that all, almost all lions are thieves, and they should all be arrested. So. <laughs> Can you imagine a lion in handcuffs? Shackles. <laughs> you mean paw cuffs? Did you hear me? 
literally was like, is this just a bad connection? Because that was a great joke. (laughs) I heard you in the second that you said it. And in my brain, I was just like, do I want to laugh? That was a terrible joke. No, it was great. Oh, my God. Um, Let's let's see. So one thing that I've always admired about hyenas, (laughs) I was like, what animal are we talking about? is that they have one of the most powerful jaws in the animal kingdom. Mm. They are, depending on what source you look at, they are always within the top 10, but it varies. So they do have the strongest jaw for a mammal for their size. Gotcha. They can crunch through bone and not only that, they will eat bone and skin and most – most, if not all, predators, carnivores don't eat bone. Oh wow! Uh, they just they'll they'll leave it there, you know, on the savanna or wherever. And hyenas will clean up their their clean plate club eaters. Oh. They'll clean up everything, and nothing will be left. Sometimes they'll spit out hair, but mm-hmm. actually, skin and hair will be pooped out in like pellets and stuff oh. too. So. Yeah, they're they've got great digestive systems. Damn. They listen to their gut. <laughs> smart, smart animals, right there. So the clans that I mentioned, they are famously led by females. Females are the alpha yes. in all hyena clans, which is pretty awesome. Girl power. Even female pups can boss around the boys, <gasps> which is pretty. Cool. Yes, that's awesome. I also want to talk a little bit more about how smart they are. Mm-hmm. Because I found a really cool study that was conducted in the early 2000s that tested their social cooperation. And it is believed that because of the size of their frontal cortex, which is part of their brain, Mm -hmm. which is directly connected to social intelligence, that they are very – it's – Based on the size of their frontal cortex, they are considered to be very intelligent, and this study sought to prove that. Basically, it paired different captive hyenas together to see how they could perform at a cooperative task. And the task was that uh, food was placed at the top of a 10-foot-tall platform, mm-hmm. and two, two ropes were hanging down on either side of the platform. And in order to get the food, both ropes had to be pulled on at the same time in Mm. unison. And the hyenas figured it out within three minutes. (laughs) And and the study was then repeated over and over again with hyenas of different social ranks. Now that's getting back to their clans and how the clans are led by females. And I mentioned similar to – they have – they live in these groups similar to lions, wolves, and wild dogs. Like, again, if you're living in such a big family mm-hmm. unit, you have to be intelligent and everybody is going to have a different role. And so that's what they were trying to figure out with this study is they would take a an alpha hyena and a subordinate hyena and they'd pit them together and see how they figured out these tasks. Mm-hmm. And they always figured it out. Now – when they put two alpha hyenas together, they were they actually got kind of aggressive with each other and they took longer to figure <laughs> out the task, which is really interesting. But then here's, I think, what is so fascinating. When they put 
an alpha and a subordinate together, the alpha realized that the subordinate didn't know how to perform the task and they would switch roles. The alpha would, would follow the subordinate around almost as if to say like, what do you think? Do you think you do this? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll follow you. You tell me, I want you to figure this out. Yeah. And then as soon as they figured out the task, the roles went back. Oh, that's so normal. cool. Isn't like, it, it was like a teaching moment. Yeah. Like, these alphas were like, I'm, I'm not going to show you how to do it but because I want you to figure this out. Yeah. And I just, I, I find that to be absolutely amazing. And then almost the kicker of this whole study was that they conducted the exact same experiment with chimpanzees mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure it out. Oh. That's crazy. Isn't it? That's awesome though. Oh, and wait, wait. One more thing about this <laughs> is um, the, the hyenas did this all with nonverbal communication. Huh. So no yips, no barks, no <laughs> laughs, um, which is, is so amazing. All right. So now I want to study hyena communication um, and yeah. nothing else. So nothing else. That's insane. And speaking of the, the hyena's laugh, it's actually it's not a laugh as i'm sure most people can guess it's in fact it's more uh, of a chortle they have their own tones (laughs) good i got one i got a joke in on our comedy (laughs) podcast nailed it so they all have different tones and pitches to signify who they are as individuals which also in that it it indicate their their own tone and pitch indicates their age and their social rank but what is the laugh exactly? It's usually an indication of stress. Oh. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because like a lot of humans laugh when they're stressed. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's this entire podcast definitely... is just stress. So um, remember how last episode you did a fun little trivia with me, oh, game yeah. show style? Yeah. So I'm going to do that with you. Oh, yay. I'm excited. So this is going to be a fact or fiction <gasps> trivia. Ooh. Okay. So ready, true or false? Hyenas smell really bad. False. Correct. You we went from fact and or fiction to true or false. So I wasn't sure how to answer. <laughs> Consistency is key. Here, That's man. also why it took me so. <laughs> I was like, don't you know the answer? That's also to why this? it took me so long to figure out. Yeah, I was like, what? What did fiction. she say? What did I ask her? Is that better? <laughs> I don't know. No, it, it's not actually because I, I never remember the difference between fiction and nonfiction. It doesn't matter. And like, I'm a fucking editor, you know, I just, it's one of those things I will always have to look up until the day I die. I'm sure. Ooh, all right. Should we um, try your game of fact or fiction slash truth or dare again? <laughs> Let's try. All right. Fact or fiction. Hyenas smell really bad. Fiction. Correct. <laughs> um, so according to a lot of folklore, which is what has given hyenas a bad rap in the first place, oh. they they dig up graves, which they, they don't really. Like, they have been known to, but it's not their uh, mo- operandus, what is it? Operandus mo Yeah, mo- I can't help you on this one. Um, not their thing. <laughs> it's not their thing. 
Modus operandi. That's it. A method of procedure, especially a distinct pattern or method of operation. Gotcha. Hyenas just smell normal. Um, they do sometimes eat carcasses, right? They also have a, a an anal gland that they use to mark their territory that is referred to as hyena butter. But um, uh, they're no. not. <laughs> no. Veto. Let's just sit with that for a second. Uh-uh. <laughs> I tried to like keep talking so you that did. it didn't sound weird. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to power through this and she won't notice. Lies. Mm-hmm. But hyenas aren't rolling around in poop like your household dog does. So <laughs> hyenas smell normal. <laughs> Good. All right. Next, hyenas body type makes it difficult to travel long distances. I mean to say fiction. Correct. Yay. So they actually have a rather streamlined body shape Mm. um, and they are very in, they're very, they are, they have, they have a lot of endurance. There you go. (laughs) You did so good. So according to National Geographic, stubby hind legs increase energy efficiency, allowing the animals to lope easily across the ground. Hyenas also have big, strong lungs and hearts, as well as wide nostrils that facilitate oxygen exchange. Um, hyenas are also known to uh, cover ranges of a thousand miles. So yeah, they can be found heading all over the place. They, uh, yeah, they can move fairly easily. Damn. Hyenas are endangered. Fact. Yeah. So it's true, but not necessarily about spotted hyenas. Spotted hyenas are are currently um, somewhere around least concerned slash vulnerable. And that is just for the normal reasons of habitat loss and uh, human encroachment. But the other populations – the brown hyena is the rarest of the species. And then the striped hyena is also endangered. And these are for a variety of other reasons that I didn't do any research on beyond just the normal, like when you're reading an article, it says these are endangered because of humans and poaching and things for like their pelts and whatnot. I mean, that's so. like always the reason. Yeah. Right. Unless right. like you're a panda, so you have, it's usually because of humans. Pandas, it's all on their own. We really just hate pandas here. Not cute. I mean, they're cute. Like, we don't want to kill pandas, but anyway, moving on. Okay, so last one. Female hyenas are actually hermaphrodites. Fiction? Correct. uh, Female hyenas are, in fact, 100% females. They They are, however, the only known mammal to have no vaginal opening and that is because that is because (laughs) female hyenas female spotted hyenas have a pseudo penis yeah i was like when is she gonna talk about the pseudo penis (laughs) the pseudo penis is actually an elongated clitoris (laughs) and (laughs) we're so mature and uh, it, it can be erect when aroused or excited or when seeing a family member. And it's the, the females mate and give birth and urinate through this oh. pseudo penis, which. That's insane. 
it's not a vagina people. So it's very difficult to do all of these things. First of all, it's difficult for the male because he's oh. kind of doing this like little shimmy where he's like, I can't get it in, you know, like, where, where's the hole? <laughs> so basically they're like a teenager for the first time, every time. <laughs> Which is great. And then after that, um, the females have to give birth through this fucking clitoris. Oh my God. And Sadly, 10% of first-time mothers die in child <gasps> in childbirth. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's because, like, it's just not... It wasn't designed well. So it wasn't designed well in that regard, but what it was designed for... Remember, the females are, are the alphas, and this, this tiny opening floppy clitoris... Oh, which, by the way, can grow up to seven, eight, seven or eight inches long, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Just an extra little tidbit for you. And they, they so evolved as an anti-rape device. Oh, wow. Like, because it's so difficult for the male to get it in, they're just like, well, I'm not even going to try. Oh, like, God. That's insane. Isn't that- yeah, isn't that fascinating? I feel like there's like a whole, there must be some article out there where someone really dug into like, what is this, how, like, oh yeah, what does this mean in like human society? Like <laughs> that, it's just such a mind boggler. It is. It is a mind boggler. It's crazy. So I'm going to leave it at that. Awesome. Well, thank you. Anyway. Oh I'm so jealous. Yeah. Hyenas are amazing. I wish you had talked about how cute baby hyenas are because if oh, you want to see something adorable. I'm, I'm going to be posting photos of baby hyenas on our Instagram because oh. I saw them when I was on safari in Kenya and they are just the cutest. Like I just, I want to snuggle a hyena. But yeah, baby hyenas have like little mohawks. Like they're such little punk mm-hmm. rockers. Oh, I love oh. them. They're so, so cute. Oh Hyenas was I on my them. list, but I'm glad you did them and you did a great job. So thank you. Um, I need a quick wine break. Oh my gosh. So I, I went to visit my neighbor for a post work drink this evening mm-hmm. and she had red wine in a box and she called it, she called it a cardboard dough. Ha! That's pretty good. Isn't that clever? I like that. I like it when people call, um, like, because you know how they're like bags of wine in those boxes? You just mm-hmm. call it an adult Capri Sun. I like that too. But it's gigantic. <laughs> well, right. we're bigger than kids are. So you got to, you know, volume You're matches right. the size of the human. We are, we are larger than children typically. So. so I'm excited for my animal, but I also like kind of cheated a little bit. So I'm going to give you my clues um, so you can guess what I'm doing. My clue is based on where I was last week and what I saw. Oh. What do you think I'm doing? (laughs) So for context, last week, Ashley was at Cape Cod Mm -hmm. and she went to a drive-in double feature Mm -hmm. and the two movies well, one of them was Jurassic Park, and yep. she's definitely not doing a T-Rex. Not doing dinos. The other movie was Jaws. Yeah. So, audience members, what do you think she's about to talk about? 
So, All right. Listen, so I know you did you did sharks in general, I think, at the beginning mm-hmm. of season two. And by I think, I mean, I know because I looked through your notes to double check, which can I just add, going, looking at your notes, it's so organized and like your, your <laughs> things are for the most part, like pretty clearly labeled. I labeled my document, da-dum, da-dum, da. like I just am like, what am I feeling today? I'm like, oh, Maggie's is like way more organized. <laughs> have a shared google drive and every once in a while i'll pop into the ashley folder and i'm just like wow she's so much more creative than i am because i'm like episode three hyenas and like it's it's so boring right because i take this way too seriously i need to loosen up you're like all right what am i feeling uh and yeah, it's some of I'll have to I don't, look through some of the last ones. I don't know so that funny. it's always a benefit because it's helpful, you know, in your case to like know what season it was in. Where I have like my axolotl one is just axolotl, axolotl, and like, or like when you did the I I, it's I I Captain. Oh, yeah, that one is pretty good. Not gonna lie. But yeah, so I am doing specifically great white sharks, and what I really wanted to talk about is kind of the history of why we're scared of them and like kind of where that came from, especially after seeing Jaws. Mm -hmm. But I will say if you ever have the chance to see Jaws at a drive-in on the Cape, do it. Yeah. It's just such a cool experience because for those who don't know Jaws, the, well, if you don't know Jaws, the the movie, I don't really know how to help you, but um, (laughs) it's a very famous movie, uh, which I'll get into a little (laughs) bit later, but it was filmed um, in in Cape Cod in a town called Truro, T-R-U-R-O, which is like two towns away from Wellfleet, which is where I, what drive and I was in. So like to be right near where it was filmed was just like so cool. Um, And it's like a 1957s, 1957 was like the year though the drive-in was established so it's like very old-timey feeling so it was just cool. really cool that's so fun um but so let's talk a little bit about great whites um i'm yeah. not gonna do like too much because again we have a whole shark episode that's really great so this one's just specific to great whites that's i think this is fantastic i it i i'm glad you're getting specifically into a, a, a shark species i know you did whale sharks but they're mm-hmm. totally 1000 percent oh different. God, yeah. Also, it was Shark Fest on National Geographic Channel yeah. like for the last several weeks. And I was obsessed with just if if I had free time, that's what I had on in, on the television. Yeah. So the Great Whites or um Great Whites. Great Whites. Um, or their Latin name is <clears throat> Carcharodon Carcharius. Don't know how right that is. Probably should have practiced it uh, beforehand, but that's their scientific name. They are the largest known predatory fish that's also um, extant, so alive. And they're Mm -hmm. the only fish that grow larger than them are whale sharks, like Maggie had mentioned that I did before, and basking sharks, which are are way more similar to whale sharks than they are to great whites. Also to note that there is no such thing as a lesser white shark. So like even though it's greater Mm -hmm. white shark, it's not in comparison to another kind. So scientists actually often refer to that to great whites just as white sharks. White sharks, yeah. Which is really funny because, well, the first half of the story is not funny. There was a, a great white shark attack on the Cape and my dad was reading me the article and the way the article talked about great whites, they said, white sharks, also known as great white sharks. And my dad was like, well, aren't they always known as great white sharks? And it was this whole thing, but it turns out in the scientific community, white sharks is more typical, whereas common people usually say great whites more. But yeah, so I just thought that was interesting because I never realized that. And I also think it kind of helps like white sharks kind of like 
makes them like not as scary I guess yeah it kind of like takes away from that and like neutralizes that's the word I was looking for Hmm. but they are pretty fucking big so they can be anywhere between 16 and 20 feet in length when they are full grown and weigh between 4,000 and 7,000 pounds now I always say that I won't get into you know too much into their height and weight but I wanted to add some comparisons and I recently found a website it's I forgot what the name of the actual like URL is but it's the measure of things where you can put in a measurement and it gives you comparisons <gasps> this is like your favorite website how much time did you spend on this <laughs> too much time and I have three examples for each but then I have okay I'll stop um so for length so that's 16 to 20 feet so at the very top of that so the 20 feet they are as long as a giraffe is tall mm. Mm-hmm. Or they're for one that people can probably think about more. They're three times the length of a queen bed. Let me turn yeah. around. Are you going to go look queen at your queen bed? Because it doesn't, it, it's fucking long. It's really big. I know. I only have twins at my parents' bed, my parents' house, but I'm pretty sure they're the same, similar length. So, but are you ready for my favorite length comparison or height comparison? They're three mm-hmm. times the height of Andre the Giant. <laughs> So if you stand a shark up and then you put three Andres, this website was made for you. Oh my God. (laughs) The main problem is that most of the comparisons are to other animals. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that helps. So for weight example. um, So at the top of that, the 7,000 pounds, it's up to six grizzly bears. So one great white shark is six grizzly bears or 45 beer kegs. Whoa. Or 1,500 chihuahuas. <laughs> yeah, definitely puts it into perspective. That one, that one is what did it. <laughs> now you know. Also, I'm, I'm very stressed out at the idea of 1,500 chihuahuas. Oh, my God. Could you um, – the noise alone is enough to drive no. a person insane. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know how helpful all those are. Um, I'll try to, to 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 draw back next time on my size comparisons, but no, please don't. That was fun. Okay, good. <laughs> so in terms of what they look like, I feel like they're often what you think of when you think of a generic shark, although they're probably larger in reality than what you think they might be. So they kind of have that torpedo-shaped body, and their face is kind mm-hmm. of cone-shaped at the front. Although they're great whites, the top of them is mostly dark gray, although that can vary. Um, but they do have a white underbelly. That's the countershading that I believe Maggie talked about in her episode, and we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And also, they have 300 teeth. So that's just kind of the general, what are they? But now, what do they do? So what do they do? For the most part, um, they live like all over the oceans, and they swim around, and they eat kind of like a lot of animals. <laughs> so like I said, they're found all over. So anywhere between um, up to 60 degrees north and seven, and 60 degrees south in terms of latitude. So just not like in the Arctic and Antarctic. Mm-hmm. More commonly though, you can find them. There's some kind of hot spots. I had read an article once about like hot spots of, of great whites. So areas where you, you find a lot of them. And it, I'm pretty sure it was mm-hmm. an Nat Geo article, but I couldn't find it, which was kind of upsetting. But anyway, so along the U.S. coast, mainly in like northeast. So they've been seen mm-hmm. a lot off the coast of the Cape and also off the coast of Maine. And then along off the coast of California as well. Big populations in South Africa, mm-hmm. off the coast of South Africa. That is, they are not 
on land around Japan, Australia, and off the coast of, <laughs> of Chile as well. Um, so all over the place, but those are just kind of areas mm-hmm. where they tend to be a little bit more concentrated. But they don't just stay mm-hmm. in those places. They actually have, some of them have pretty long migrations in the Eastern Pacific Ocean specifically. They'll migrate between Mexico and That's Hawaii. what I was wondering. Yeah. So they are like, especially like at the Cape, I don't know where they migrate to, but in the summer, they're a lot more prevalent. They move up to those, to those cooler waters because it's summertime and in the winter, they're going to move to those warmer waters. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I wonder, because yeah, as you were mentioning that, I was like, well, you've just mentioned off the coast of all of these different places. Mm -hmm. And I know that we're still learning so much about sharks generally, but we don't know where they go when they're not near coastlines. Mm -hmm. The oceans are so big and they're hard to follow, right? So like, what are they doing out at open sea? Are they just moving around in search of food or is it like, are they more comfortable in the temperatures is that what they're seeking out change in, in water temperatures i don't know are you, you you might tell us but i have often thought about this these are all great questions and i don't have a ton of answers but that's because these the species and spe- specifically is we'll talk a little bit about it later is that they're vulnerable for a lot of different reasons but they're also just naturally rare because they're such large carnivores such large predators that there's not like they're not all over the place, you know? They're not like schools of fish. We don't have that. So they're hard to study because there's just naturally not a lot of them. They're also somewhat endangered. And it's hard to study animals that go off into the, like they go off, we don't know unless we have trackers on them. They do spend a lot of time along the shore, even, um, you know, not during those those certain times of the year they do tend to stay inland um but they also are known to dive super deep so they can dive up to 1200 meters which is really helpful because then they can feed on those slower moving fish and squid and i have a couple of cool fact alerts in here and so this is first one cool fact alert although they are cold-blooded which i think is an outdated term but it was on the website i was using which was like a dot org so like pretty legit um (laughs) But uh, they have a structure called a countercurrent exchanger, and it's the structure that allows them to maintain a body temperature that's higher than the water surrounding them, which is kind of a reason that they're such a good predator is that in areas where it's colder for for creatures that don't have this ability, they'll move a lot slower Mm -hmm. because it's colder, but but Mm -hmm. great white sharks don't because they have the structure that helps them stay warm and therefore stay faster, essentially. That's so cool. I feel like that's uh, cultures and countries that live in colder latitudes, like have adapted to just be like, oh yeah, it's, it's below zero. It's okay. It's not that bad. So that's kind of cool that it gives them this this special ability, um, which is really awesome. They also, they swim more like tuna do, which I realize is not very helpful because I feel like a lot of people don't know what tuna look like. Or like, if you actually see what like a bluefin tuna looks like, you're like, how does this fit in a can? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But so to help their tunas are more, and great whites uh, are more stiff bodied compared mm-hmm. to other sharks who have sinuous whole bodied swimming strokes, which sinuous or sinuous, S-I-N-U-O-U-S means having sinuous. curves and turns. So like kind of. I'm on, I'm on Zoom with Maggie, so I'm like going to try and show her on video, and that doesn't help our listeners. But I was like looking more into a better way to describe this because 
nothing that I've come up with so far was helpful. Do you have a guess or something that helps? A, a guess? I was just going to describe when you were talking about stiff bodied, I'm mm. thinking like about videos that I've seen of white sharks versus videos I've seen of even like a thresher shark or a hammerhead mm-hmm. or or different fish. And if you just look at their bodies, they move differently. Mm-hmm. It's almost like these other sharks have more. Nope. I don't know. I don't have a good comparison. It's almost like the, the white sharks have a brace on yeah. and, and they can't like, they're trying to maintain really good posture. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But um, this is what helped me. This was from um, like the Britannica Encyclopedia or whatever that is. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I was looking it up. So this is exactly from that. When an elongated fish such as an eel swims, its entire body, which is flexible throughout its complete length, moves in a series of sinuous waves passing from head to tail. So just a bunch more flexible, typically in sharks. Flexibility, yeah. Um, but that kind of stiff, yeah, bra- back brace, I think is a good way to put it. That sharks and back braces is just... <laughs> great visuals like they're just trying to balance a book on top of their heads they're very they're very formal and um have great manners um for those who didn't know in terms of diet they eat everything from small fish to large seals and even dolphins their their prey kind of go grows in size so like juvenile great whites um are going to eat a lot more small fish and as they get larger they'll move on to larger prey they give live birth. I think we talked about this. You talked about this when, when you talked about sharks, that a lot of sharks do this. And this also might be true for other sharks, but cool fact number two, and I'm going to read this the way I wrote it. I don't know what yes. kind of mood I was in. Cool fact alert number two. You know placentas? So last year. During gestation, female great whites provide nourishment through unfertilized eggs. I was feeling oh sassy God. as hell. <laughs> clearly you were you were just like (laughs) so uh yeah so that's pretty cool is that they do give live birth they don't have placentas instead they just uh snack on their unfertilized brothers and sisters so the shark great white sharks are awesome so that's kind of most of what i have just in terms of like general information about sharks sorry great white sharks and then i kind of dive into why are people so freaked out so i got a lot of this from a really great video that I did not help produce, but um, it's a Nat Geo video called Where Our Fear of Sharks Come From. And it's a great, like, it kind of like <laughs> compiles like um, archival footage and it's, it's really fun. So a lot of it came from that. So check that out if you're still interested. So just a little bit of kind of the history. Great white shark attacks or shark attacks in general aren't uncomp, like aren't, aren't like modern day. Um, tales of battles with sharks appear in ancient Greek, Roman, and Spanish tales. So you can look and find like, ancient Maggie was taking a picture in in like you know ancient literature there are images of shark attacks it's not something new Hmm. but to bring it somewhat modern day in the 1890s people had a lot more leisure time so people started going to beaches more so like just the idea of beaches like became more prevalent and people going to them and then in the 19 early 1900s there was this guy named Herman Ulrichs he was a millionaire And he was convinced that shark attacks weren't a thing. Like, he didn't think that shark attacks were real. So much so, he offered $500 to anyone who could show him proof of a real shark attack, which, like, risky business. In today's money, that's about $12,000. 
And the crazy thing is that scientists also kind of agreed. Like they didn't really, because before the 1890s, people weren't really going to beaches. So other than like sailors' tales, they didn't really have any documentation of shark attacks. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't a thing. However, then in 1916 specifically, there was a series of shark attacks along the coast of New Jersey. There were five attacks in two weeks. And so that like completely flipped everybody's mindsets. And all of a sudden, shark attacks are horrible. Well, Mm -hmm. sharks are horrible. Shark attacks are horrible. They're just not common. And a big part of this was that a lot of elites at the time would vacation off the coast of New Jersey. So the White House even provided aid to get rid of Definitely not the case anymore. No. (laughs) New Jersey's not the hotspot for the elites anymore. Definitely not. But so that's kind of where like that idea flipped for a while. It was, I was surprised to learn that they didn't even think shark attacks were a thing. And then this kind of series of events happened and it happened to elite people or like places elite people went. So it came commonplace to think that shark attacks happened all the time. But really what really put sharks on the map as these like horrible vengeful killers was Jaws. So although there wasn't a great impression about sharks or great, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for. People didn't like sharks. They already didn't. They are, they are kind of menacing looking. Yeah, they're menacing looking. They're, you don't know a lot about them. You know, I hate it when things touch my feet in the ocean. So like the thought of it being a shark is not great. But Jaws was really what kind of gave us this modern day visual of a man-eating vengeful shark. The novel, so it's based on a novel. The novel itself spent 44 weeks as a bestseller in the 70s. And then the movie was the largest grossing film at the time. I think it was in like 1976 when the movie came out, maybe, or sometime along around there. And it's kind of actually what started like blockbuster films. Um, So like the idea Mm, of a blockbuster film started with Jaws. So everybody saw this film. There even was, you should look it up. They presented this like fact sheet about sharks alongside the film, but they took a lot of liberties and they included in, in it that part of a shark's diet was humans. <laughs> and like, oh, that's not no. true. So like a lot of liberties. So this, again, kind of contribute to this idea of like these ventral sharks, especially if you've seen the movie, it's just a pissy shark. And after that, there's kind of an influx of hunting sharks and ha- shark hunting contests, almost like this idea of like, oh, it's this big beast. I have power over it. weird I mean it was mostly men hunting these sharks weird power dynamics to to want to kill this fish men have these napoleon complexes I honest to goodness so long complicated history in reality great white shark attacks and I put attacks in quotes because it's really not it's not I feel like attack it it implies that it was like intentional and usually they're not they're fairly rare Mm -hmm. And they're almost always kind of this exploratory behavior, kind of if you think of like puppies or, or babies chewing on things, they'll bite something to see what it is because they don't have hands. Mm-hmm. They very quickly usually realize it's not humans and that they're not prey and they like get out of there. However, because of how gigantic they are, even one large, even one bite is, can be extremely traumatic or even fatal. So it'd be one thing if you get bit by a puppy. <laughs> But it's another thing if you get bit once by a great white shark. So if you think about what their prey is, if you think about, you know, seals or sea lions, and you think about like people on boogie boards or surfers who often are the victims of shark attacks, from below, they look a lot like prey. And so sharks can go up, bite them, realize humans taste like shit, and they're out of there. But that doesn't matter because one bite 
is enough to be mm-hmm. super traumatic. So yeah, it's kind of sucks that they're these great, amazing predators, but that's what, you know, gives us this idea that they're, you know, they're, that, the one thing that's a hundred percent not true is that they're not vengeful. Like they don't have a, they're sharks. They don't have an agenda. Like <laughs> what? Oh my God. Sharks with an agenda. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of where the history of, of these, this fear of sharks comes from. So mm-hmm. why are they important though? And how can we help? For one thing, they're important. They're at the top of the food chain, which is extremely important. As soon as that goes out of whack, you know, we get an influx of some species and another species shrinks. So they're very important. And like I said earlier, they're naturally a rare species. There's already not a lot of them. So their numbers, I feel like, can like teeter a lot more than a species that's abundant all, like, all the time. They're specifically IUCN red-listed as vulnerable. In terms of threats, they're hunted by humans for their fins and teeth. There's also still trophy hunters out there looking for great whites. They're often caught as bycatch. Talked a lot about this before um, in terms of fisheries kind of being a threat and that if you don't know where your food comes from, you could be getting seafood that, you know, doesn't have a great regulation on their their bycatch and and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also put that the the ocean is just fucked. So we all know this: climate change, warming uh, waters, plastic pollution, all of that. You know, the the warming waters is contributing to more white sharks being seen up here off the coast of Maine. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that they've never been up here before, but unfortunately, just about a month ago. Uh, a woman was killed by a, a white shark attack. Um, and it, it was just like you said, according to news reports anyway, that it was kind of exploratory. She and her daughter were swimming and they were wearing wetsuits. So they mm. looked kind of like seals. Yeah. And, you know, they were swimming because white sharks aren't usually up here. Yeah. And, and it's because our waters off the, the in the Gulf of Maine are actually warming at such an exponential mm. rate. I think it's another thing of when water's warm and sharks are moving to places that they haven't been before, humans don't know how to interact necessarily with mm-hmm. them. It's not something they're used to. And like the encounters are more rare, more un- like you don't expect them. Mm-hmm. And it just creates a whole bunch of new problems. Mm-hmm. I have this listed as in all caps. I feel like I may have brought it up in your shark episode an episode where you did sharks, but also shark shark infested waters are not a thing. They live there. It's the ocean. That's like saying (laughs) human infested houses. That's not a thing. Humans live there. So shark infested (laughs) waters, not a thing. So just in general, what can you do? I feel like a lot of this is going to sound kind of familiar, you know, know where your, where your seafood comes from. But I think an important thing is to kind of dispel the myths about sharks and that Mm -hmm. they're not these huge vengeful killers. And then another thing, and this is kind of just in general, admit when you're wrong and learn from that. Yes. The author of Jaws, Peter Benchley, um, actually became a shark conservationist later in life. Mm. And there's a quote in 2000 where he said that he couldn't write Jaws today knowing what he knows about sharks. Wow. But yeah, I think there's a really important message in like admitting when you're wrong and, and owning up to that. And that has more strength than, you know, knowing something from the beginning, but like taking the opportunity to learn in all aspects of life, (laughs) but also in shark conservation. So, uh, shout out to my sources, World Wildlife Fund, Oceana, National Geographic, marinebio.org, and of course a little bit of wiki, but yeah, so sharks are really cool. 
Jaws is still a great movie. It's very entertaining to watch and has so <laughs> many great moments. Yeah. But watch it with, I think, the mindset of this is fiction. This isn't real. This isn't how sharks actually act. And then maybe go like watch a cool video by a shark scientist or something afterwards. <laughs> Yeah. Watch, watch Jaws with the same mindset as Jurassic Park, you know, (laughs) which is, this isn't real. And Jeff Goldblum's really hot. So, uh, (laughs) yes. Yeah. Oh, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. So that's great. Whites. I hope I did. Um, I know you started, you did our first shark episode. So I hope I did. You did, did this justice. Well, I only did that because you had talked about whale sharks and sharks are just so cool. That's true. Well, I think we've done a, a great a great virtual recording. I hope that everyone else enjoyed us. We want you to be excited too. Exactly. That's the whole point of this podcast. You know, as a reminder, we're animal enthusiasts. We're not scientists. So do your own research. We're just here to get you excited about animals and how cool they are so that you can, again, do further research. Go watch Jaws go learn more about sharks so you know the accurate uh, portrayal of sharks yeah but i think thanks for joining us on this second episode i hope it i hope it's going well uh for our virtual (laughs) listeners let us know if there's anything that we should be doing different but thanks for joining us on this episode if you like our podcast uh check out our instagram again i know we we did this in the beginning but it's at the watering hole pod and there's some great content there yeah. And subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening and even give it a review. <laughs> um, if you'd like, we'd love it. Uh, it'll help us reach new fans and get them excited about wildlife as well. You can also visit us online at thewateringholepod.com, which I believe is new to this season. I mean, it started it sure at the is. end of last season, but it hasn't been around for the first two. So join us there. Tune in next time when we learn about more animals, their biology and habitat, the threats they face, and what people are doing about it. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Get out of here. Get to work.